Amos chapter number three this morning. Amos chapter number three. If you found it, say amen. amen. If you believe it's in the word of God, say glory. glory. If you're gonna stop where you are and act like you found it, say amen. amen. All right. <laughs> Hear this word. Look at verse number one. Hear this word that the Lord hath spoken against you. O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, verse number one, this isn't sounding like a good story this morning. He said, I've spoken against you, O children of Israel, who the Lord has. You only, have, uh, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Look at verse number three. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Will a lion roar in the forest when he hath no prey? Will a young lion cry out of his den if he have taken nothing? Can a bird fall in a snare upon the earth where no gin is for him? Shall one take up a snare from the earth and have taken nothing at all? Shall a trumpet be blown in the city and the people not be afraid. Shall there be evil in a city, and the Lord hath not done it? Surely the Lord will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants and the prophets. The lion hath roared, who will not fear? The Lord God hath spoken, but who can prophesy, or who can but prophesy? Publish in the places of Ashdod and the palaces in the land of Egypt, and say, Assemble yourselves upon the mountains of Samaria, and behold the great tumults, excuse me, tumults, in the midst thereof, and the oppressed in the midst thereof. For they know not to do right, saith the Lord, who store up violence and robbery in their palaces. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, an adversary there shall be even round about the land, and he shall bring down thy strength from thee, and thy places shall be spoiled. Thus saith the Lord, as the shepherd taketh out of the mouth of the lion two legs, or a piece of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out that dwell in Samaria in the corner of a bed, in Damascus in a couch. Hear ye and testify in the house of Jacob, saith the Lord God, the God of hosts, that in the day thou shalt, that, that I shall visit the transgressions of Israel upon him, I will also visit the altars of Bethel, and the horns of the altars shall be cut off and fall to the ground. And I will smite the winter house with the summer house, and the houses of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall have an end, saith the Lord. Let's pray to Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. Lord, for this morning, Lord, we thank you for the truths, God, that we've sung about this morning, God, nothing but the blood. And Lord, we thankful this morning, Lord, there is a fountain filled with blood, Lord, that is never ending, never exhaustible. Lord, for as much sin as I had, Lord, you had much more blood than that was needed, Lord, just to pay for my sin, but for the sin of every man, every boy, every girl, and every woman this morning. Lord, we thank you for Calvary. Lord, thank you for coming and being the supreme sacrifice. God, being the substitutionary uh, sacrifice for us this morning, dying in our place and paying our debt this morning. We pray, Lord, this morning that as we get into the word of God, Lord, we're so thankful this morning, Lord, that your word is true. And Lord, it's right and it's accurate. But Lord, it's also personal. God, it deals with us in ways that nothing else can. We pray, Lord, this morning that it would do exactly that. God, would it deal with our hearts, straighten us up, straighten us out, help us, encourage us, convict us and challenge us. And we ask you, Lord, this morning that your word would have free course this morning. And God, it would flow from the pulpit down into the hearts this morning. And God, help us where we so desperately need it this morning. And we pray, Father, that you just, Lord, make preaching, God, what you designed it and desire it to be this morning. Would you empty me out of myself, Lord, and fill me with your spirit. And Lord, if there's somebody here this morning that doesn't know you as a personal Lord and Savior, and God, would you save them by your grace this morning. Lord, let them know that you love them enough that you died for them that you rose again, and God, that you're coming back. And Lord, you want them, and you want to save them this morning. 
We love you, Lord. We thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for these past few days, God, that we've got to enjoy with family and friends and be reminded of our many blessings in our life. Lord, I pray, Lord, that the spirit of thanksgiving would not quickly fade out of our hearts and our lives. But we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, preacher, how in the world did you end up in Amos chapter number three? <laughs> oh, I'm glad you asked this morning. Well, to be honest with you, I wasn't quite sure what to preach this morning. I wasn't necessarily, nothing had settled in my heart for sure, and I've been reading and studying different things. I knew what I was preaching tonight. I have that all outlined and ready to go. Matter of fact, I wrote that down before I wrote this sermon that I'm preaching this morning, and I know where I'm going to be at this morning as we look at those relationships. Tonight, we'll be looking at the relationship between the church and their pastor but I knew what I was going to preach tonight. I know what I'm going to preach Wednesday night. We're going to continue our study of Ephesians. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 4 Wednesday night. I even knew what I was going to be teaching in Sunday school this morning. I knew I was going to be on the story in the life of Jacob and Esau and how we ought to value the things of God more than anything else in our life. But I wasn't sure about this morning until about 8 o'clock, 7 o'clock last night. And I wish I could say that I was in my study and praying earnestly and uh, and, and, and desperately and sweating and having all that kind of stuff going on and the Lord gave me a word from heaven. Can I say I was praying? <laughs> I was desperate, Lord. I, I, Lord, I, you want me to preach in the morning, Lord? I don't want to just have something to say that I preach, Lord. I want what you have for us. And I had stepped up and I sat up from the couch and I was going down the hallway and right there in the middle of the hallway was Tyler, not Tyler, but Shiloh's Walker, walker toy and it's this little puppy dog and it's got wheels on it and, it and she holds on to it and it helps her walk well it was in my way so I went to go move it I picked it up and here's what it said let's walk together <laughs> let's walk together and I, and I was almost scared because Shiloh was already asleep and I thought this is about to wake her up and she's going to want to walk and, and it's just going to be a, one of those nights but Shiloh stayed asleep and as I began to walk down the hallway, that thought just began to walk, work in my heart and work in my mind. And God reminded me of the verse here in Amos chapter number three. Can two walk together, unless they be agreed? Can two walk together except they be agreed this morning? And as I began to think about this, there was that phrase, that, uh, that, that little toy. Now, I understand this morning, that toy doesn't have a personality. That toy is not a human being. That toy is, is not a spiritual instrument of the Lord. That toy is just simply a toy that helps my daughter walk. But I begin to break down that phrase. Let's walk together. And here in Amos chapter number three, there is a, a, a given desire, a given question in, in verse number three. Can two walk together except they be agreed? And oftentimes we take that verse and we apply it to those whom we fellowship with, those who we associate with, those who we, we, we necessarily put our stamp of approval on, and no doubt it's, 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 it can be applied in that sense. But here, God is really dealing with the nation of Israel in their walk with him, in their relationship with him. And before I get into this morning, I want to break down that, that simple phrase, uh, let's walk together. First of all, there's an invitation, the word let, or let's. It's, an, it's, a, uh, it's a, not a 
Contract, it's a contraction for the, the phrase, let us. In essence, there's an invitation for you to join me as we participate in something together. And this morning, the, the invitation that we see is throughout the word of God is that God desires to walk with his people. God desires to walk with his children. And in Genesis, we know that there was that daily routine between God, Adam, and Eve as they walked together in the cool of the garden and as they walked in fellowship together. And when Adam and Eve sinned, and God shows up and he says, Adam, where art thou? Where art thou, Adam? Not because he didn't know. He needed Adam to realize where he was. But Adam skipped out on that daily walk with the Lord. But God desires that still. Revelation, we see Jesus standing on the outside of the church and knocking on the door saying, let me in and I'll sup with you. I want to walk with you. I want to fellowship with you. I want to spend time with you. And I'm glad this morning in 2022 when everything's gone crazy, when everybody's gone, lost their mind, there's still a God up in heaven that wants to walk with me and you this morning. He said, let us. (laughs) That's what the toy said. That's not what the Bible said. There was an invitation. Then he said, walk. I think that toy's a boy. I'm not sure. It might be a girl, amen. <laughs> I don't know. It's for a girl. But it said, let walk. There's a purpose. That toy is trying to help my daughter learn how to get from one place to the next by walking together. And I'm glad this morning that God is willing to walk through life with us. As we go from birth to death, God is willing to walk with us. And here's the thing this morning. I've walked in a lot of places I've done a lot of walking in my life. And there's been some places that I've walked where I had no idea where I was. We we go on hikes sometimes as a family and all they give you is a map and all you have is a prayer. And you try your best to make it out alive and try your best to make it out around the circle, around the loop, back where you started. But to be honest with you, there's been a few times where we've been hiking and the trails disappeared. It's gone completely, and we have no idea where we go. And the best I can do is to guess we're going in that direction, that way. And as you can tell this morning, we've made it out safely and alive because we're here this morning. There's some times where I walk where I have no idea really where I'm going. But can I say there's a big difference when you and I walk somewhere that we've been. We walk somewhere that has many memories attached to it. We took our kids, uh, I think last summer, we took them up to Creighton, Nebraska. That's where I grew up. Uh, for, for the summers when I was a young boy, we'd go and spend the summers with my grandparents in Creighton, Nebraska. And there's a lot of memories that are associated with that place for me. And I just remember we were walking and we, we took my kids past the house where my grandparents used to live, the ball fields that I used to play in, the park that I grew up playing on. And we went from the, the pool that I used to go swimming in, the store I used to buy stuff in. And we went to go to all these, and here's the thing, I knew my way around that town because I've been there many times in my life. And sometimes in the Christian life, we feel like we have no idea where we're going. We have no idea what we're supposed to do next. We have no idea how we're supposed to get from point A to point B. Can I say at those times, you and I need to step back and realize we're not walking alone, but we are walking with one who's already been there. Well, if we just learned to walk with him, boy, our walk would have definitely improved this morning. Why walk alone when you can walk with the one who's already been there? Let us walk. That last little word that little toy said was together. Let us walk together. Now, Shiloh's, some, some of y'all have seen the video on Facebook. Shiloh is beginning to take those steps by herself. And listen, I, I enjoy cutting lumber. I enjoy, you know, sports and manly things. But there's just nothing cuter than a little baby learning how to walk. One of the cutest little things. Just, boy, she'll get to going. 
And she can't take but three or four steps and she gets ahead of herself. But we've enjoyed watching her walk by herself. Just a few steps here and there. Boy, but if you give her that little walking toy, son, it's supermarket sweep. I mean, she'll grab a hold of that thing and she is gone. I mean, just all around the house, anywhere she wants to go, she'll get that thing there. And she has a wonderful time walking together. Oh, yes, she can walk by herself, but why? When she can walk and go at a much faster pace and at a, a much greater enjoying time when she walks with her toy. Can I say this more? There's something about walking together with the Lord. You can walk by yourself. You can try to do it by yourself, but you'll enjoy it a whole lot more when you walk with the Lord. I love my wife, and I still love walking around with my wife. I still enjoy holding her by the hand and walking with her wherever we go. Why? There's an enjoyed companionship. There's encouraging comfort that comes from this. Think about this. We can go to the Emmaus disciples in the Gospels and as they are leaving Calvary, as they're leaving the tomb and the, the news of what has happened to the Lord and the uncertainty of this resurrection they're hearing about, they're heading back home to Emmaus and they're downtrodden, they're discouraged and then the Lord shows up in the midst of their journey and they didn't realize it at first but they were walking with the Lord Lord back to their house and then when he makes it known unto them who he is they stop and say now listen we noticed something different when that man showed up we noticed something different when the Lord started walking, walking with us because what do they say did not our hearts burn within us when he began to preach the word of God to us and I say this morning you can walk by yourself if you want to but I want to walk with the Lord I want to enjoy his companionship this morning but we get here to verse number three chapter number three of the book of Amos and the more I study about Amos, I really like Amos. He's just a, just a shepherd from Tekoa, about six miles south of, of Bethlehem, the city of David. He's almost from a famous place. But he's just a little shepherd. He's, he's nobody. He's, he's not elite. He's, he's not been to Bible college. He's not well educated. And God calls him out of the shepherd's field and tells him to go up into Israel that is, that is transgressed God, that is wealthy, elite. And he says, go tell them this. And if I was Amos, I probably would have had some, Lord, they ain't gonna listen to me. I ain't nothing but a shepherd. I'm a nobody. And yet here God uses him to deliver a great message, not just to Israel, a needed message, but one that is needed in our hearts and lives today. I want to preach on this thought this morning. Let's walk together. Let's walk together. In verse number three, Amos poses the question, can two walk together except they be agreed? And so we can take from the context this morning, yes, God is dealing with Israel's uh, uh, relationship with him, how they've strayed, how they've backslid, how they've got away from God. But in order to answer that question this morning correctly, if you and I are going to walk together with the Lord, it's going to take an agreement on our side. What do you mean by that, preacher? In essence, me and you are going to truly walk with the Lord. We will not walk by our standards and our ways. We will walk in agreement with what God has said and told us to do this morning. It's a question that, makes us, that must be answered correctly if we truly want to walk with the Lord. Preacher, I want to walk with the Lord. We're going to have to make some agreements this morning. We're going to have to agree with the Lord on some things this morning. Every Christian can walk with the Lord by agreeing with the Lord on the following points. Number one, there is a reassured singularity. There is a reassured singularity. Verse one and verse two, hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel. 
against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Verse number one brings out a very, very prevalent event in the history of Israel. What is it, preacher, the Red Sea crossing? 400 to 500 years later this morning, from the day or the night that it happened and from the time that it happened to the days of Amos, that many centuries later, God is still trying to get Israel's focus to say, the only reason why you are here, the only reason why you enjoy what you enjoy and have what you have is because I brought you out of Egypt. I led the captive free. I heard your, your cry by reason of the taskmaster and I brought you out. Can I say this morning the same is true about us. The only reason why we're here this morning. The only reason why we understand spiritual things. The only reason why we have standards and convictions. The only reason why we know what it's like to walk with the Lord is because of what he's done for us and where he has brought us from. Notice here there was a miraculous redemption in verse number one. Speaking of that, that wonderful uh, event that took place where God took the nation of Israel down through the Red Sea across dry ground and into the, eventually into the promised land. But more importantly, he brought them out of Egypt. What happened physically in the book of Exodus is a picture of what happened to you and I spiritually when we got saved by the grace of God. See, Israel should have died in Egypt. Israel should have died in Egypt Long before the Red Sea, when that death angel came down into Egypt, can I say Israel hadn't done anything to deserve and to get out Scots free and not for the, the life of their firstborn to die. Why in the world did the firstborn not die? God had a lamb. God had a lamb, and it was a lamb that was slain. The blood was shed, and the blood was applied across the doorpost. But if you continue to read the account this, this morning, it's more than just blood being shed across the doorpost. There was more than, they, than that what they did with the lamb. Matter of fact, the Bible said they partook of the lamb. The lamb not just saved them, the lamb satisfied them. Can I say this morning? Oh, yes. I remember the day when I met the Lamb of God, when Jesus saved my soul. Yes, my sins were, I should have died in my sin. I should have died in my Egypt. I should have died without God. But thanks be to God for the day that he provided a lamb for me. Can I say, not only has he saved me, but he completely satisfies me this morning. We see that he should, they should have died in Egypt. But notice this. They should have been trapped. They should have been trapped. Egypt, oh my goodness, Egypt should have caught back up with them. <laughs> oh, they come out of Egypt down there towards the Red Sea and what did Moses say? Hey, y'all stand still. What? <laughs> We're running for our lives. The Egyptian army's behind us. What do you mean stand still? He said stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. We should have been trapped in Egypt, but God made a way. What did he take them down through the Red Sea? Let me ask you, out of all the seas in the world, out of all the seas with all their different names and all the different oceans, it could have been the Pacific, it could have been the Atlantic and the, the, the Bering and the, uh, the, the, the Adriatic, the Ionian, all those different seas this morning. God said, no, we'll take them down through the Red Sea. In picture, in type, that's a reminder of you and I being plunged into the blood of Christ this morning, a place that Egypt can't get into. A place that, that Satan can't, how many are glad this morning Satan can't cross the bloodline? I'm washed, I'm plunged, I've been 
put underneath the flow of the Lord, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. There's nothing Satan can do about it. Hey, listen, he's got a lot that he can say. He's got a lot that he can do. But when it comes to the blood, he cannot cross that this morning. Well, I'm glad God made a way when there was no way. <laughs> we should have died in Egypt. We should have been trapped in Egypt. Preacher, sometimes my flesh wants to go back. So did some of the Israelites. Everybody says Moses was a hothead. Whew. Well, if I pastor the First Baptist Church of Israel, <laughs> like Moses did, <laughs> after all that, they said, Moses, it'd been better if we died in Egypt. I'd have been Moses. I said, no, it wouldn't. Dummy. <laughs> but sometimes we want to go back. They, they said it was, it was better there and, and sometimes our flesh craves the very things that God has delivered us from. We, we want to go back to those things and we know there's nothing back there but something about our flesh and the draw of our flesh is, oh, there, there might be something. This time it might be a little bit different. You might enjoy it more. You may, you may have all these kind of things and our flesh lies to us and lies to us and lies to us but I'm glad even when those times came when they were saying, well, would to God we died in Egypt. We had water. We had this. God showed himself faithful and God took care of his people. Preacher, why should you and I agree to walk with the Lord? Because he's the only one that could redeem us. And he did this morning. Not only was there a miraculous redemption, but notice verse number two, there's marvelous grace. Look at verse number two. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Look at the first half of that verse. We'll deal with the second half in the next point. But the first half, he said, only you have I known of all the families of the earth, of everybody in the world. God said, I have known you. I have made a covenant with you. I've made promises to you. I've taken care of you. I have blessed you. On what grounds? The grace of God. Israel didn't do anything to deserve it. Israel didn't have the means and the resources to impress God. Matter of fact, they were a weak, tiny, small little nation that God bestowed his power and his grace and his mercy and his might upon and they became something wonderful and great for the glory of God. Can I say this morning, we and I ought to walk with God because he's extended grace towards us. He's been gracious to us. I don't deserve to have or to be or to do what I get to do this morning, but it's because of the grace of God. When God saved me, he didn't save the best. He saved the worst. And the same thing is when he saved you, he saved the worst this morning. He extended grace to somebody who did not deserve. Why should we walk with the Lord? Because he's the only one worthy. There's a reassured singularity. There's only one person that we're supposed to walk with, and it's God Almighty this morning. We need to make sure that walk with the Lord, that, that, that relationship with the Lord is right. Do you agree this morning that you should walk with the Lord because he's the only one worthy to walk with? There's a reassured singularity. Notice this, number two, there's a reviewed slackness. There's a reviewed slackness. Verse number two ends with a very hard reality, a very hard truth. Therefore will I punish you for all your iniquities. We understand this morning that God is dealing with the nation of Israel. God is dealing with them because they have backslid, they have transgressed the law of God, they have disobeyed that which they've been told to do, and God's going to deal with it. And I understand this morning you've got to keep it all in its context, you've got you to interpret the Bible with the Bible this morning. I'm glad this morning on the cross of Calvary, Christ took every punishment for every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl this morning. Every sin has been paid for on the cross of Calvary. But I will say this morning, disobedience does have a high price tag. 
It does have a high price tag. In the life of a Christian, if you're a true born-again Christian, disobedience and continued disobedience in the life of a Christian only leads to one place. It's chastisement. The correction of the Lord this morning. And though it's a painful thing and though it hurts, we understand the necessity of why we need it. The same thing is true when you were growing up. I mean, when, when you received those whoopings, those spankings, and if you were a, a, a child who was blessed beyond measure and you just had time out, <laughs> we look back and, oh, it hurt in the moment. But I realized what my parents were trying to do and what they were wanting to do in my life, and I'm grateful for it this morning. But we see here that as we progress through the chapter this morning, that question's posed in verse number three, will two walk together except they agreed? And then it's just rapid fire questions. One after another, after another. And these questions are given so that the nation of Israel and us this morning can realize and do a self-evaluation evaluation of where we are in our Christian life. Has our walk with the Lord become slack? Has our walk with the Lord become something of what it's no longer what it used to be? I used to walk close, and I used to have a great relationship with the Lord. I used to have a wonderful, fervent prayer life, and I used to read my Bible, and I enjoyed it, and it was wonderful. But it ain't like that no more. Why? Has God changed? Has the Lord changed? He said, I'm God, I change not. Sometimes in our life, it's because you and I get slack in some areas. We allow things to loosen up, That'll be tight in our life. Notice here, he asks these questions to bring some uh, realizations and, uh, uh, into the nation of Israel, into our hearts this morning. Notice verse number four. There was unsubstantiated pride. Look at verse number four. Will a lion roar in the forest when he hath no prey? Will a young lion cry out of his den if he hath taken nothing? <laughs> You're like me. I read that and I said, huh? <laughs> what does that even mean, Lord? Will a lion roar? He has no prey. So I Google, why do lions roar? And I found this, that lions, they're, <laughs> it's asked, they, they could roar for many reasons, was the first thing I found. I said, well, that don't help me none. But I found out that lions, their roar is a means in a way to express their territory to show their might, to show their strength over another pride of lions or another group of, of animals. It was a way to, to show their dominance. And we see here this morning the question being asked, will a lion roar in the forest when he hath no prey? What does that mean, preacher? What good is it for a lion, a lion to roar and make everybody think he's big and bad if he ain't got nothing to show it? A big and bad lion will have prey. A big and bad lion will, will execute the mission, will, will achieve the goal. They will have something that says, here's why I'm great. Just look what's in my claws. Look what I have caught. And sometimes in our Christian life, many Christians today boast about the things they have. I've got this and I've got that and I've got this and I've got that. But not many of them brag about what the Lord has done for them. We look like lions roaring about how great we are. They don't have anything to show for it, any proof behind it. There's unsubstantiated pride that led to a slack walk. Notice this, there was unnecessary traps that led to a slack walk. Look at verse number five. Can a bird fall in a snare upon the earth where no gin is for him? To be honest with you, I don't know what that word gin meant. 
And the only definition I had of it wasn't the right definition. Can I say the Christian ought to stay away from both of them, amen? Christian has no business drinking this morning. None whatsoever. Well, Paul took a little wine for his stomach. Take Pepto-Bismol. Amen. <laughs> Didn't come to preach on that this morning. But we see, can a bird get, here's what, here's what Amos is asking. Can a bird get trapped where there is no trap? <laughs> well, there is no trap, then you can't be trapped because in order for somebody to be trapped, there must be a trap. And so we see here that he asks, well, why in the world are y'all, y'all trapped when you're in an unnecessary trap? There hasn't even been a trap been laid by God. Should a Christian allow Satan to trap or capture them? No. Because in reality, because of the knowledge of the Scriptures and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit this morning, and the knowledge that God gives us through His Word this morning, there ought not be a trap that gets us from Satan. What do you mean by that, preacher? 2 Corinthians 2.11, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Here's the thing this morning. If we are not ignorant of his devices, then we know what it is. And so we can no longer claim ignorance if we go towards it because we know it is a trap. And therefore, chosen ignorance is not ignorance at all. But rather this morning, when you and I know that there's a trap that Satan has set for us and we pursue it this morning, we're about as bad as a bird who's trapped when there is no trap. Can I say this morning, when we go into those traps that Satan has set up for us, Satan does not automatically have an advantage over you. You give it to him. You release it. You, you allow him to have it this morning. Israel just stepped back and say all that they had was really not from God. But all this success, these palaces and whatnot they had in Amos chapter number 3 up there in Samaria and up there in uh, the, the northern part of Israel, they hadn't got that from God. They got it by wrong means and wrong ways and they had allowed themselves to be trapped by Satan and it affected their walk with God. There's unsubstantiated pride. There's unnecessary traps. Verse number six, there's unchecked fear. Shall a trumpet be blown in the city and people not be afraid? Shall there be evil in a city and the Lord hath not done it? Panic never produces anything good. Never produces anything good. Matter of fact, we try to instill in our children, the worst thing you can do in any situation is panic because that's just going to make things worse. But so many times in our Christian life, what we think is a warning siren, what we think is a, a trumpet that the enemy is attacking and, and we got to go run, we got to hide, we got to be fearful, we, gotta, we, we find ourselves living in unchecked fear. We find ourselves a living on the lies of Satan and not the truths of God's word. Many Christians live in, in, in uh, improper fear that keeps them from walking with the Lord. It's one thing to be nervous. It's one thing to be nervous. I still, right now, at this very moment, am nervous when I preach because of my, I don't want to say anything dumb. I don't want to say anything wrong. I don't want to dishonor the Lord. And I get nervous, but I, I've learned that I cannot allow my nerves to stop me from doing what God wants me to do. Because if I allow my nerves to stop me, then that becomes an improper fear. We see the same thing so many times in our Christian life. Improper fear. What if they do this? What if this happens? How are we going to do this? How are we going to manage the same way we've managed for all these years and through all these centuries is we're going to trust God and allow God to take care of us this morning. There's unchecked fear. There's unnecessary traps. There's unsubstantiated pride. There's a universal resolution. Look at verse number seven. Surely the Lord will do nothing, but he revealed his secret unto his servant. Preacher, how do I deal with all that stuff? With what God's already given you? He said, through his servants and his prophets, they 
preach the word of God. They brought the word of God to it. Preacher, how do I deal with all those things? How do I get my relationship and my walk uh, right with the Lord? How do I get it from slack to tight to where it's supposed to be? By doing what the word of God has already told us to do this morning. How do we fix our slackness? By turning and applying the word of God. Not too long ago, uh, there's, I don't know when they came out. I don't know who discovered them, who brought them up. But they call these things slack lines. And it's like a tightrope, but it's not. And it's, it's one of them, it's, it's a wide, like three inches wide, and they tie it off between two places. They, they, they don't tighten it all the way. They're slack to it. And the challenge is to walk across. You walk across the slack line. And there's people that can do it. I'm just not one of them. We were at that place where you can do jump on all the trampolines and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Probably one of the worst decisions I ever made to go there. But I got on that slack line, and uh, I was going to show my kids I could do it. Uh, two steps in, I was doing a backflip into a foam pit that about swallowed me up whole. But so many things, and here's the thing, there was not a single ounce of grace as I was walking across that thing. It was wobbling trying my best to keep up. That's how so many Christians live the Christian life. They wobble back and forth and they, they stutter and they're, they're flopping all over the place. Can I say the Christian life was never meant to be lived like that? It's to be lived by faith in a God who can take care of you this morning. And if that relationship has become slack in an area, you need to step back and look at some of these questions and say, well, is it there? Is it there? Is it there? Is it there? And when God pinpoints it, say, all right, Lord, let's deal with this. Because I don't want my walk to be slack with you. Are you going to approach the slackness in your walk with God? There was a reviewed slackness. There was a reassured singularity. And notice number three this morning. There's, there will be a realized sadness if you don't do anything. There will be a realized sadness, a revealed sadness this morning. Verses 9 through 15. The Lord had revealed some slackness in my walk with him. But I ain't going to do anything about it, preacher. What's my outcome? Not a good one. Not a good one because you read verses 11, 9 down through 15, you see what happens when Israel doesn't care. They don't listen to Amos. They're going to do what they want to do. They're going to walk how they want to walk and live how they want to live. Verse number 11, we see the triumph of the enemy. Look at verse number 11. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, an adversary there shall be even round about you, about the land, and shall, he shall bring down thy strength from thee, and thy palaces shall be spoiled. So we see the twofold attack of the enemy that he triumphs. What does it look like when Satan gains a stronghold in our life? First of all, there's a striking down. He shall bring you down. He shall bring you down. When you're going to find a discouraged Christian, find a Christian who has neglected their walk with God and allowed Satan an advantage in their life, and now he is, he is riding them, he's oppressing them, he's discouraging them. You'll never find a more discouraged Christian than that. Full of despair. He'll strike you down. But notice, not only will he strike you down, the Bible said in verse number 11, he spoiled the palaces. He'll take from you the very things that make the Christian life enjoyable. He'll rob you of peace. He'll steal your joy. He'll remove security from your heart and from your mind. And you'll live the Christian life miserably if you don't check out and fix up and pursue to get the right relationship with God this morning. There's a striking down. But also notice verse number 12, there's a tragedy of destruction. Look at verse number 12. Thus saith the Lord, as the shepherd taketh out of the mouth of the lion two legs, Peace of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out that dwell in Samaria in the corner of a bed in Damascus in a couch. I've never pulled 
body parts out of a lion's mouth. And if I don't do that before I die, I'm okay with that. But back before we were living where we do now, we had built a chicken coop. I think we had five or six chickens. I named them McChicken, KFC, Popeye's, <laughs> uh, Church's Chicken. But we were looking forward to an egg. I think altogether we had 10 chickens. Through the course of time, we got one egg. It's not how you chicken farm, amen? It's not, it's not how it's supposed to be done. But we had all these chickens, and uh, I remember going to work and coming home, and there's feathers everywhere. All over the front yard, all around the coop. And I sort of realized there was trails of feathers going throughout the, where we used to live at. And I followed one trail, and I followed, I followed, I followed, and I looked up, and there, hanging in the tree, was nothing but a chicken leg. And it wasn't fried. If it was fried, I'd ate it. And I followed another trail, another trail. It went across the road over to an abandoned trailer that was on the other side of the road, and I, I followed the trail, and it went up underneath the underpinning. And that chicken might have been alive, but I wasn't going in to find him. Because if I went in to find him, I wouldn't be alive. What had happened, preacher? Something had got into the coop. There was an area that wasn't tight. It wasn't secure. It wasn't how it was supposed to be. And because of that small little area, that small little opening, something got into this day. I still don't know what it is or what it was, but it destroyed every chicken we had. Here's the thing this morning. You might think you get away with slackness. I don't have to have a good walk. I don't have to be close. It's all right. Everything will be fine. I'll just do what I want to do. You have no tell. There's no telling this one the, the, the effect it'll have on your children or your grandchildren. The tragedy of destruction because there was not a close walk with the Lord. There's a striking down. There's a tragedy of destruction, the triumph of the enemy. But notice there, there's a turning of a blessing. Verse 13 and 15, or down through 15 this morning. The Bible says, Hear ye and testify in the house of Jacob, saith the Lord God of Lord God and the God of hosts, that in the day that I shall visit the transgressors of Israel, the transgressors of Israel upon him, I will also visit the altars of Bethel, where they were doing pagan worship, and the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. And I will smite the winter house with the summer house. And the house of ivory shall perish, and great houses shall have an end, saith the Lord. Winter houses and summer houses. <laughs> like me, I got one house for all four seasons. But it's a sign of opulence. It's a sign of great blessing. Not only do they have a summer house, but they, God has allowed them to have winter houses. God has blessed Israel, allowed them to come out of Egypt, taken care of them, provided for them, protected them. And through a slack walk with God, they've turned evil ways to get means and finances. And they think they're doing well. Look at me, God's blessed me. I've got a summer house. I've got a winter house. I've got palaces made of ivory. I'm doing well. Here's the thing, if we continue to walk away or not in agreement with, those, or agreement with God, those things that were once a blessing will become a burden. I've heard Christians testify and thank God for the very thing he's put in their life, the blessings that he's given them for their, their walk to go cold and to become slack. And now they're upset with the thing that God gave them. It's no longer a blessing, it's a burden to them. Here's the thing, they actually, they, they, they didn't, nothing changed, just their opinion of that this morning will. 
We see here this morning that there was a turning of blessings. That which was once a blessing was now become a burden. It's been taken away from them. Why? They had a slack walk with God. It's affected not just them personally, but it's affected those little lambs, those children that are coming after them. We have to realize this morning, if we have a, a walk with God this morning, it's not where it needs to be. And we don't care about that and we don't do anything to change that. We have no desire to fix that or allow the Lord to fix it this morning. There will be a realized sadness. There will come a day where God will give you what you want and what you've been asking for in that sense. And it will not be what you really want. What about you this morning? I don't want that to happen in my life. I don't want that to be my testimony. He used to walk with God. But now his kids don't even go to church no more. His kids don't love the Lord. His kids are in all that, all that kind of stuff this morning. I don't want to be the same person who was saying, thank you, Lord, for this, and thank you, Lord, for that. And why do I got this, and why do I have to deal with that? Preacher, how do I keep from that? By realizing there's some issues with your walk and getting those right with the Lord this morning. I want to encourage you, just like that little toy encouraged me last night. Let's walk together. Let's walk together with the Lord. Let's all stand this morning.